everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush 2021. I was gonna actually look up when we threw out our first episode. I'm I'm Jr. By the way, and I'm Molly. And in case you haven't listened to us, we started podcasting last year just to have kind of conversations around faith, food, uh, family, and other interesting things. So we're not quite as cool as ladies sitting in a car, um, but we're a couple sitting in a studio in my basement, our basement, talking about life. Whatever we feel like talking exactly. about. Exactly. Now, I was going to pull up when... When our first episode When our first out. episode was, but I'm... Uh, You'll pull it up on Instagram. Yeah. I, um, I haven't done podcasting on... <laughs> so I bought Molly and I iPads for Christmas... And I, I do most of my work on the iPad now. Um, normal, normal work. Not all of it. I can't do all of it off off the iPad, but most of it. And uh, I haven't done anything related to the podcast yet off the iPad. So that. Huh. Um, I don't know if they have an app or I have to log in or what. Anyway. Okay, you posted a the awkward episode highlight on. January 18th, 2020. Oh, wow. So we are coming close. up our one year anniversary. And we kind of fell apart How towards the end of the year. That. Uh, on scheduling. We're back to two. We're, we're doing it on a Tuesday night. That's what we started out doing. So we'll see how, see how, we how do well this, this holds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We just had trouble making, making time because we had stuff keep coming up. And JR started a new year, new person more rigorous schedule which involved wanting to get to bed before we would normally have been finished recording and so that yeah clogged us up a little bit but while you guys uh, were at judo tonight i was super diligent and did a million things and the kitchen is shut down for the night by the time you guys got home and so well other than the fact that i didn't have a snack prepared for Hungry kids who came home from judo. But it's a lot of work keeping up with feeding a crowd like that. Just constant. And then I, I feel like I'm trying yeah. to get ahead. Like I made those monster cookies for... I deliberately doubled the batch so I would have enough to take skiing last week and then again this week. Because we're going to have another wonky moms in charge of two kids taking skiing mm-hmm. uh, weekend. And... Um, and then everybody wanted to keep eating the cookies and I was like, no, I have a purpose for these. And that's like, well, what do you expect us to eat? We need a snack. We need to keep eating. So same thing. I baked cookies for a small group tomorrow night and that became the snack for tonight because we have a ravenous horde of small people who keep growing and eating more. That's why the cookies were marginally softer tonight than they were the other night. I would like to say I exercised a lot of self-control the day you made all the sugar cookies because I did not eat four or five of them straight out of the oven. They are awfully good. So you guys know JR is a sugar cookie snob. And these are one of, they're mutually one of our favorite cookies Partly because they do have great flavor and partly also because I just don't have the patience to make a sugar cookie dough, chill it, roll it out, cut it out, worry about 
all of the precise proportions, if it's going to lose its shape, if I make it this way. These are a Mel's Kitchen Cafe, big surprise, Mel's Kitchen Cafe, <laughs> uh, recipe that the only planning ahead you have to have is the softened butter. And then you just take the dough straight out of the straight out of the bowl, roll it in sugar or in sprinkles or in some combination of both and bake it. Be sure not to overbake them. But they can even withstand a little bit of overbaking and they have a great flavor. They keep a pretty good texture without getting weird and crumbly for a couple of days. And they're super easy to hammer out. So Yes. And also I've the batch tonight I made with gluten free Costco's gluten free flour blend, which if you really? Yeah, they're You would they're, never know. Well, did you have one of the ones with sprinkles or one of the ones with just plain sugar? One of the ones with sprinkles. Yeah. So the the weird thing about the gluten free flour blend, it's supposedly a one to one. Are the gluten free ones the one with just sugar on them? No, the gluten free ones have the sprinkles. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So I the reason I well, they're getting pretty good at these gluten free flour blends. Yeah, but apparently. also I remember from having done these before her recipe calls for two and a half cups of flour, and I only use two cups of the flour, even though it's supposed wow. to be a one-to-one uh, flour substitute. It just it just sucks up so much moisture. So I was proud of myself for remembering this time to use less flour. But I'll have you uh, add a link in the show notes to the Mel's Kitchen Cafe drop sugar cookies that are fast nice. and easy. I have another food link for you to throw in there, which is what we're having for dinner tomorrow, which is a slow cooker chicken tikka, which I haven't done for, Mm. I used to do it a lot and I haven't done it for a long time. So it's a super easy recipe. If you want to add more depth of flavor, you can saute onions and spices beforehand and kind of get some brown on the onions, but it's still super good if you just throw everything in the crock pot and let it go. And then at the end of cooking, you can either add, it calls for cream, but you can add a can of coconut milk if you want to have it dairy-free. And it just has great flavor and is super easy and you can make it with a pot of rice. I'm going to attempt to snow the kids and do half rice, half cauliflower rice, even though they tend to be um, morally opposed to cauliflower rice. We'll see if I can... Bring the wool over their Kids eyes by um, what? Oh, yeah. so Lily, we texted somebody this earlier. Lily is she doesn't like flour tortillas just on principle. She for some reason. So of course, when, when we have Taco Tuesday, if it's a flour tortilla night, which it usually is because there's so much t- like Tuesday's judo night now. Our a corn tortilla, I in for me to enjoy the flavor of it or the texture of it, I have to like brush oil avocado oil on both sides and fry it until it's soft but not crispy and it takes a long time and you it's pretty labor intensive to have flour or corn tortillas for a family of six um the flour ones we got this trick from my from our sister-in-law from new mexico we have gas burners you just turn the gas burner on like medium high toss a flour tortilla right on the grates right over the flame Wait till it starts to get a little bit brown on it. Flip it over, hopefully just a little bit. Sometimes I wait until it's smoking. Yeah, Titus, but it'll, it'll Titus for up. sure, if I put him it'll in charge of it. Nicely. You know, you can do it, basically you can do it to your preference. And then just throw it in the tortilla warmer. So it's so much faster to make really good 
flour tortillas for a family that's eating them, but Lily just won't eat them. So she has taco salad on those nights, and she's fine with it. She knows I'm not going to work around her. Uh, so she goes and gets the chips herself. But she also, because of the flour tortilla thing, on principle, doesn't like quesadillas. And I got this Pinterest video suggestion the other day where they actually took... they So they cut... They took a tortilla and they sliced... If you were to imagine it being cut into quarters... You just slice along one of the quarter lines and then having it mentally divided into quadrants, what the Pinterest video did is they put fresh avocado on one quadrant and then some vegetables on one quadrant, cheese on one quadrant, and sliced up chicken. It was actually crispy chicken for them on one quadrant. And then they folded it over along the quadrant lines into basically a triangle and then they pan fried it and called it a crunch wrap. And so I I did that <laughs> with some leftover pulled pork and caramelized onions and barbecue sauce and cheese. And Titus loved it. So then I did, but it was too thick for the girls to eat. So I basically did a quesadilla out of it. And Lila was like, are you making us quesadillas? I don't like quesadillas. And I was like, no, this is a crunch wrap, not a quesadilla. And she ate it, and she wanted more, and she wanted more, and <laughs> I was like, I, I, I don't really like that I've become one of those parents who's like, no, this isn't broccoli, this is miniature trees, but at this or you know whatever right. you use, but right. at the same time, it's like, I mean, you know, it, it, it came from a Pinterest crunch wrap thing, and it's the same ingredients that I used in your crunch wrap, it just happened to be easier to cook it thinly for smaller mouths in the shape of a tortilla of a quesadilla and it's exactly how i would do a a quesadilla but with different ingredients anyway so made her a crunch wrap kids are funny and i'll i'll send you the kids are ridiculous they are ridiculous kids speaking of ridiculous and getting into weightier matters oh i'm gonna talk about this time Oh, I just just got this on my pinch or my Instagram, and it was a really interesting uh, feed or interesting post. I'm gonna pull it up so I can read it to you. And it's interesting in itself, but it's more interesting in the context of other conversation. So this is somebody whose name is, and I don't really maybe can we somehow link send people to her without having her be able to trace back to us because I don't really want to hear her have her hear me critiquing what she (laughs) says anyway we can probably find well no not really so her Instagram handle is Dr. Becky at home D-R-B-E-C-K-Y A-T-H-O-M-E and I don't I actually did not check on click on anything else from her. I just got this before I came downstairs. Somebody shared it in their stories and thought it was helpful. I don't I don't actually identify with the presenting problem. The presenting problem is when your child accuses you of something you didn't do. And her example is, "You tripped me. That's why I fell down." And I don't have a lot of recollection of our children blaming us. There's a lot of blaming each other. Yeah. Lots and lots of blaming each other. But she uses another example later on. Like, um, if the kid doesn't make a team. And it's, 
like I didn't want to do it anyway. You made me try out, so it's your fault that I tried oh. out and didn't make it. Um, is another example that she uses, and she says instead of feeling like you have to be right, so you tripped on the chair, don't blame me, or you wanted to try out for the basketball team, don't you? Re- Come on, don't be ridiculous. Uh, she says, decrease the shame. Oh, did I? Pause. And she says, you're not colluding in a lie. You're leading with generosity in a tough moment. And here's what was super interesting to me. is She says, false accusations feel like an assault on our goodness. Essentially, we feel like someone is saying you're bad and we say back, no, I'm good and you're bad. Um, And then I'm going to skip this paragraph. She's basically like, you know, your child isn't bad. You're not bad. You can be disappointed and good. You can be embarrassed and good. And But she says, when the child makes a false accusation, assigning blame to a parent, or I would add parenthetically, anybody else who clearly wasn't at fault, the child is actually saying this. The feelings inside me are so overwhelming that I cannot tolerate them being my own. They make me feel bad inside, and I have to locate the source of them outside of me. It has to be someone else who put these overwhelming bad feelings inside me it's the only way right now that I can tolerate this awesome this awful feeling she says your child has so much discomfort and shame that the answer has to be in that moment at least that someone else did this to them then they can externalize their anger rather than just wallowing in despair and frustration and feeling terrible about themselves so her advice to parents is recognize what's going on and uh, just say something like, oh, did I? Or say nothing or say, I'm here for you, showing your presence and sturdiness in the face of their struggle later on when you can sense that your child is in a different place off or something like this. Sometimes when I'm the most embarrassed, uh, it's the worst. It makes me feel bad, almost too bad to be myself um, and see where that conversation starter takes you. So she says, choose to be connected instead of to be right. And I think she has a lot of actually really good advice in there. As a Christian, the obvious thing is like, yeah, that overwhelming feeling of shame and badness inside of you that you're trying to cast out at some point in your Christian life, hopefully sooner rather than later, you have to learn to own that. Because you really, at some point, you're going to be hit with the reality that I actually did that, and I actually am that bad at basketball, or I actually am mean enough that I deliberately hurt my sibling or deliberately broke that thing that they did. And I can think of a million examples just from the last week where my kids have trouble owning the badness inside of them. And it is overwhelming to be confronted with the reality of, like, the reason, you know, and our take is, you know, our tact tends to be way more confrontational than this gal would probably approve of, which is, you know, the reason that you're feeling that is coming from inside of you, and you need to learn how to deal with that. There's a lot to pick apart there for sure, but, you know, I was just contemplating that very thing on the way home from judo tonight um 
if you remember over who's my mom's birthday when everybody came over to our house she we were talking about one of our children and my mom's like well do you remember when you did this do you remember when you you know i think the example she used was i something happened and i said well and i you know i get really angry when i got really angry when certain things happened because we were we were kind of trying to parse through why one of our children does the same thing and she's like well you know you had told me that you were just really beating yourself up inside that you couldn't possibly believe that you were totally capable of that and i was thinking about that in respect to this particular child um because he i made a comment to him and (laughs) (laughs) Hmm, which child could it be and he uh he got like you know he kind of had that yeah. fake I'm angry sort of thing and I was I was trying to think through what because you know in the conversation with my mom she asked well what I said well what really changed me was just like just God working through me during that year of counseling with one of our pastors and um, I haven't quite figured out what that was I know the things that resonated with me and so I was kind of contemplating like how do you and one of those things that resonated with me was when he said, by the time we get done counseling, I hope that you will get to a place where you can identify with Paul when he says, I am the chief of sinners. Because mm-hmm. at the time I was like, I'm not, I'm not capable of murder. I would never murder anybody. And, you know, lo and behold, by the end of the year, I'm like, oh, I would do all of it. I'd, you know, murder little children and rape their daughters, and I'm just a horrible person. You know, <laughs> it's like, wow, you're not quite that bad. Um, but the concept, you know, is is we have that sin, that badness inside of us that's capable of taking us to who knows where. You know, we we read about all of these atrocities that people do, and I'm like, hey, how, do you, how do you get to the point where, you know, sons turn on their, you know, children turn on their parents, and neighbors turn in neighbors, and and spouses, you know, destroy Knowing the terrible spouses. things that will happen to them knowing, when you turn on them. Yeah, and knowing... And this is like somebody you love. Like, and you just turn like that. Yeah. And so I was actually contemplating that very fact on how to teach that to our children. Um, minus intensive pastoral counseling sessions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're... Um, you know, so I don't... Yeah, I don't. I don't have the answer to that. I mean, obviously, like here's the the Jesus juke to her her post right. is you are that bad, and that's why Jesus had to die. Right. But I think what. But that's not enough because people no, told me that all growing up. But yeah, it never, it never what's resonated. so challenging, and what I find helpful in some of her parsing out here is that last comment: choose being connected over being right. Right. And somehow we we have to make a safe place for our kids to experience that bubbling up and the anger or the despair and the, like, this is so bad. I have to get it out of me. It can't be a part of me. We have to manifest or what's incarnate the grace of God to them in being able to absorb that. Like Christ absorbs a tremendous amount of our anger towards him and our offenses towards him and in grace absorbs the worst 
wrath and anger that is not ours, but it's God's directed at our sin. But we need to be able to absorb, and I think this is where we both struggle with our kids' anger um, to varying degrees. I struggle with one kid, you struggle with another kid, and their anger is being able to not take it personally, even when, you know, maybe they're not blaming us, but they're certainly projecting the anger in a way that affects us and we have to say because of Christ's grace to me I absorb this and in doing so am giving you a tangible experience of the grace that we're always telling you about in the Bible and that God is always holding out to you but it's so hard I mean, of all of our kids, Elise is the one that cracks me up because she's always like, I mean, I know God's there, but I don't really believe because I can't see him and stuff. <laughs> and I just, I appreciate the honesty there because I think we all, you know, I don't know if our other kids just don't think about it in those terms or if they they have different doubts yeah. and struggles, but the, you know, it for all of us, the fact that we haven't experienced we can't see God. We can't hear God. We hear God through his word, but it's sure a lot different than having someone look you in the eye and saying, I know how it feels to have all of this boiling up inside of me. And this is a safe place. I guess that's what I'm looking for is the, how do we create a safe place for our kids to come to terms with that in their own hearts and it's only by coming to terms with that in their own hearts. And I don't think that she's necessarily saying, I think she's wanting in this post, she's wanting parents to help kids reckon with that in their own hearts. Mm-hmm. But because, at least from this single post that I read, she's not, she's not a believer, so she's not offering up the gospel there really is no other safe place. Like right. like our friend Ian, who's a missionary in a Muslim country, he says his, his, in a good way, gotcha question to Muslims when he's talking to them about Christ is, what do you do with your guilt? Because I know what I do with my guilt. What do you do with your guilt? And they don't have a good answer for him. He's, at least, you know, last time we hung out with him was a decade ago. But but he, having grown up in a Muslim country, was pretty confident in asking people that question because mm. there there is nowhere to go with your guilt. And in our current culture, we have a lot of rituals that seem to absolve us of our guilt. We have languages, we have structures, but none of them, we believe from our Christian worldview, none of them actually absolve us of the deep, deep guilt that is genuinely inside all of our hearts. So that was my my deep thought from the last 15 minutes. And we spend the next however many years with our kids, 18 years, trying to drill this into their heads or model I, it. it. Yeah, both. It's both. Yeah. But I think we, we lead by example, first of all. Which leads me to my next. Ooh. <laughs> no, I, I, it actually, as I was reading this, my first thought was not actually our kids. My first thought was 
Trump devotees who <laughs> simply can't acknowledge that a fellow Trump devotee would do the horrible things that they have done. And the mental gymnastics that it takes in order to say that the people who broke into the Capitol were plants, were Antifa, that somehow this was a leftist or Antifa plot. Um, it, to me, just I, I spent quite a bit of time reading a variety of different people's posts on these things. And at first, for sure, that's what you want to believe. Oh, yeah. And then after a while, you're like, nah, all the good evidence does not. And yet, a week later, there are still people holding on to that. And I think, but I think that's been disproved enough. I think there's probably a larger swath of people who are kind of like these, the kids in this post who are like, okay, so I, I projected the anger and the guilt outward on, first of all, people who are, you know, the known enemy, to put it really baldly. And okay, so it's not them. What do I do? And there's this wallowing despair because people in my tribe that I've closely identified with um, couldn't possibly be this bad. And there's there's like this spiritual block almost that this reading this post has helped me to sort of process in a sense. But I think all of us can can uh, well I'm not gonna say all of us. I can certainly resonate and identify with the difficulty that it takes to say I'm sorry because there's especially when you're not in the habit of saying you're sorry of experiencing grace to from the person that you've offended and also of of I don't know how to say this nicely it almost <laughs> well no I mean it almost doesn't matter how the person you've offended responds at some point if your identity is in the right place because you yeah. care about them you care about the offense but when you're getting your heart right, you know, I mean, I, and this is where I can be a bit of an a-hole where people are like, I've apologized to this person and they're just not, you know, they won't respond to me or whatever. And I'm like, so <laughs> move on. Yeah. You know, especially you did what you could do, especially on internet relationships, like, you mm -hmm. know, just, just move on. I, but that's me. And that's not necessarily a godly response. That's my own personality and my own callousness, but also if you've done, if your heart is right before God, genuinely, and you've done what you believe you can, keep on living your life with joy and with confidence as much as you can, because you can't change their heart and you can't fix their heart, and you are not beholden to somebody once, yes, you've done something wrong and you should continue to pursue reconciliation, but not in a groveling, sniveling way. That's that's not actually them seeking recon you know reconciliation that's them bolstering their own pride by having someone who's beholden to them but anyway i've just spent a fair amount of time thinking about the hearts of people who have been so crestfallen to like i did you 
This is a little bit of a segue, but again, it's the, you know, I can't believe that I could actually do this sort of thing. There's, there's a, it was almost a caricature or a stereotype growing up in 90s purity culture mm-hmm. where you get your purity ring and you write out your pledge that you're mm-hmm. not going to have sex until you're married. And it's almost like that pledge was like a superhuman power or a chastity belt or yes. something. And then, yes. you know, <clears throat> you the, suddenly have the new power of God. Well, and so, and so these girls who've made this commitment, like I would never do that end up doing that. And because they're not the girls who are like, Oh, I do that. And I'm going to be prepared. So they're not on birth control Fair. and they're not caring. You know, they're not going to make sure they haven't like, worked on practicing putting a condom on a banana because that grossed them out and they would never need to know that. And so they end up getting pregnant and end up having an abortion because they, they're just, they're, they can't own in their hearts that they could do that. And then, and so there's a public persona, but also an internal persona of, I, I can't believe I did that, and now I can't forgive myself for having done it. And I think there's all sorts of different ways that that manifests itself. Probably people who abuse their children would, you know, I mean, it, I, I would never do that. And then, oh, well, it is. Like, the, you know, before you leave the hospital with a new baby, you have to watch the video oh, that's right. on, on shaken baby syndrome because you... Oops, sorry, <laughs> I just got totally sidelined by that. Curtain. I know, but you're gonna that noise is gonna drive you nuts. Mm-hmm, they're probably um, no. So you have to when, before you leave the hospital, you have to watch the video on shaken right. baby syndrome because when you're sleep deprived and your kid won't stop crying, you could be that person. Well, we don't know where you never know how you're gonna respond to something. I mean, you hear war stories. Yeah, people in war. Like I can't believe some of the stuff we did at war. You know, or the mob mentality with all of the. You know, all of the Trump forever people in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. Yeah, some of them I don't believe went in there expecting to little break into the Capitol. Like, for or, sure. Or whatever they were trying some, to do. Some, it you know? seems but, like, did. But, like, there's, you know, the mob mentality. You get carried yeah. away. Yep. Feel bolstered. Let's Angry. Go do this. Stirred Angry. Up. Stirred, yeah. Let's do this. Strength we we were unaware of how susceptible we are to. To outside circumstances, to our emotions, to various influences. Um, and so I think being aware. And sometimes we don't know because we've never been in those situations. So we don't know how we're going to respond. Yeah. But that's kind of goes to your point of saying, you know, I'm, I'm capable of doing anything. Yeah. I could be, or rather not I am, but I could be capable of doing anything. I don't know. So I should always be. Yeah. Be on mar- be on on guard. I mean, that's what Proverbs four twenty three teaches. Yeah. You know, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the wellspring of life. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, as we know, the heart is the core of our, of our, of our desires, the core of our passions, the core of our, you know, everything that goes on, everything that we want, you know, and then we desire. James, what James three, you know. It comes out of our heart. That's why it should be guarded. So, like, even going to these events, like, I just need to be prepared, you know, or, you know, going to uh, going to a, a media conference and 
some lady invites you up to your room and you're like, uh, wait, uh, what? No. <laughs> you know, but being aware <laughs> of, of things like that, it's like, it was so fun. I was just sitting there in the bar with my buddies and I'm like, whoa. And they're like, what? And I'm like, uh, is this what I think it is? <laughs> and they're all like, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. How do I still be nice, but still say no? <laughs> you know? I had a guy skiing on Saturday be like, hey, you want to ride the lift with me? And I was like, we're not supposed to ride the lift with people we don't know. And also, this is my me time. No, I don't want to spend 10 minutes making small talk with a stranger. Maybe he thought you were cute in all that ski gear. In all my ski gear. Anyway, I was just kind of like, <laughs> like in the, you know, there's no lines there. It was just this, like... That's funny. I understand the urge because in, you know... On a That's normal, such a funny invite. Like on, a normal, people... on a normal ski day, you look for the people who are skiing alone, right, so you know, you the can... extra spot on the right. lift. And, you know, you recognize that if you pair up with somebody else who is a single on the lift, that you save line, you know, you save the line. But it's like, there are three people in this line counting me. I, I no. No. <laughs> anyway, I was like, what? I wonder what he was thinking. I don't think he was hitting on me. But I don't know. It just kind of cracked me up because I was. Like, I would have been hitting on you. But. You couldn't even see me under. It was those borrowed gloves. Speaking of which, I it's should the tell borrowed people, gloves. The borrowed, yeah. So, fly low. so you guys, good brand. Is it? Yeah. I, just, I mean, this lady was driving a brand new Toyota 4Runner. Um, so you guys, I went. I, Jr. tweaked his knee, and so he stayed home with the two younger ones on Saturday, and I just took the two bigger ones for their first day of ski lessons, and. We pull into the lot and we're getting dressed and making sure we, you know, get all the things going and we're a little bit nervous because it's the first day of lessons and we don't know what's going to be, what's going to be happening. And I open up Lily's bag to help her put on her helmet and I'm like, Lily, there's one mitten in your helmet. Did you pack both mittens? I don't know. Well, there's one mitten in your ski bag. And so I dig through all the extra pockets in her bag. There's one mitten. And it's supposed to be a high of 30. And I have some liner gloves. Which means in the morning and late afternoon when the sun goes down, it drops down to like the low 20s. Yeah. And so it it was chilly enough that I was wearing my liners to put their boots on and stuff because my hands were cold out in the air. And so liners would not have been enough. So then I'm like looking in your, like, do you have an extra pair of liners? And you did your OR ones were in there. So I was like, okay, I could wear mine with his over the top. Or I could go dig through Lost and Found. And as I'm processing verbally what I could do, the la- this lady next to me is like, you need an extra pair of mittens? And I was like, I mean, yes, but... <laughs> and she's like, oh, I've got an extra, I always bring an extra pair and... You know, these are my lighter ones, but they'd work for you probably. And I was like, I mean, her name, I was like, so your name's Carrie because they're on the mittens you just handed to me. Thank you. Um, do you want to give me your cell number so I can contact you? She's like, you know, and somehow she figured out we were in the ski program in the afternoon and her son was in the morning and um, she made this comment. She's like, we got here late and I just threw him out the car and I've been sitting in my car eating a Snickers bar, getting my blood pressure back down from the rush of it getting really satisfies. And I, and I was like, I, I can identify with that. I've certainly thrown kids at the ski program and then gone upstairs and eaten breakfast in the lodge back when you could hang out in the lodge. But, um, anyway, I was just, she was just so gracious about it. And I was like, I should carry around extra gear and keep my ear out for people. Just, 
you know, hey, you need an extra pair of goggles? I have an extra pair of goggles. You know, it yeah. just the amount of grace that she completely unnecessarily, she could have minded her own business and let this mom with her two kids do her own thing and deal with it. But she went out of her way to um, to bless me. And, you know, since I then had her her number, you know, we're buddies now. She's like, see you next week when I drop props, her Carrie. I would give you a mug that says people are weird and hard, but it's it actually like people are nice and easy. I should well, great, great and easy. I should get people. That one. People that sometimes you know, but I, yeah. can be <laughs> great and easy. Blessing. Um, so anyway, um, that was a nice, oh. a nice um, bonus to my to my weekend. But um, that is good. Now, truth be told, I was feeling no fine to ski on Saturday morning, but I still thought it would be better for you to be have a whole day by yourself. Yeah. Have some me time. It was actually. Yeah. It was. I mean, aside from the stress of worrying about, I think Lily was worked up about, nervous about her class. And then it genuinely was quite chilly by the time we wrapped up. And she was, I think she finished skiing and then realized how cold she was when she left her class. And it was, we couldn't go in the lodge because they, like, cleaned everything, sanitized everything, and roped everything off. It's like 3.45. The kitchen's closed, so I can't buy her, you know, some french fries and sit in the lodge and warm her up. So we just went down to the truck, and she was she was cold and really upset. And well, she's funny, too, to... because when we first were saying, hey, judo's starting back up after the Christmas break. We've all been healthy, so let's get in it. And she was, like, super didn't so... want to go, everything else. And then tonight on the way home, she's like, Daddy, I'm going to miss judo on Tuesday. Oh, that's she's traveling. Right. Yeah. And I was like, yep, babe, sorry, you are. And she was kind of disappointed. Oh, that's cute. funny. Yeah. <laughs> it is funny. Yeah, I remember how you cried and said you didn't want to go. You know, I'm like that too, though. Anything that I've been out of for a while, especially right. if it involves people or something new, because those are two <laughs> areas of discomfort for me. There's your daughter. <laughs> people oh, and new. Oh, she So is new like people, me. she hates it. It's her worst thing ever. Yeah. New people, new things. Um, I have one more. I've been lecturing you all week on this. Well, is this your monologue? It's not really a monologue, but... She's been planning this monologue. She's been picking at me for like four days now. We need to do a show. I've so I can monologue. say I have things to say. I was like, oh, say. what are you going to say? And I'm falling asleep and she just goes off. And I'm like, ah, well, I'm not going to sleep. It's actually really interesting. <laughs> <clears throat> so... No, so that was actually, it's good that we, I want to, I have something burning at my chest, so I was motivated to to make things happen, to record, but it's, again, on a relation to the events of Wednesday, January 6th, 2021, <laughs> as, you know, in some ways, oh, you know, I, I'm reading these, some of these website articles, and the way people are like, this will go, this day will go down in infamy in American history. And it might. Yeah, it won't. But the fact of the matter is, four people died. Like, it's not a 9-11 with thousands of Americans dead. There was no overthrow of the government. And honestly, I think people trying to call it a coup are... Like, there was no coup. It's, it's, there were there were thousands was, and thousands of people there. I saw a couple photos oh, from the other side. Was, I was like, wow, that's I, a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I I read, I listened to, on, our, on my way up to the ski hill, actually, a pastor from Arizona 
who does has an apologetics ministry and he was there with a media team and he was like it was nuts like for this rally we we were told to get there like they were telling the crowd to get there at seven in the morning he was like we were way far back already at seven in the morning it was poorly planned there was no security there was no bathrooms and he said we stood there for five hours before Trump even came out to speak. And he's like, if I had had to go to the bathroom, I could not have because the crowd was so dense. You, you couldn't, if you had fainted, you would not have fallen over. According to this pastor, the crowd was so dense. It was, it it looked like something out of like a, like a early 20th century European, you know, crazy, super crazy. The number of people who were there, also, a number. This pastor, I didn't actually tell you this. This pastor said he was, he was like for sure there was Antifa there. Oh, had because you. there were people dressed in fatigues and not, not like Proud Boys fatigues. But he was like, the, Antifa has a look, and <laughs> they not only do they have angry a look, white males. Well, like pa- pale, That's a pale, because <laughs> they live in their mom's basements. Oh man! Um, no, but here's the thing: he was like, they were super identifiable for two reasons. One was they had gas masks strapped to their backpacks. And okay, well, he, if they throw tear gas, if they've already right. been to all these riots, they know the game. Right, exactly. Trump supporters don't bring gas masks to the riots. Like when they ended up doing weapon, like having what they used as weapons. The actual Trump supporters was the poles from their flags that they were carrying. And for sure, they used them as weapons, but they didn't come with necessarily, like, they didn't come planning a coup. Like, come on, people. No, and a coup if this generally, was a coup, a coup it's generally military involves with military a, with a plan. And a dictator that somebody wants to take over. And, and also, like, like, they're going for the, uh, anyway, like, th- this was, this was terrible. On a lot of levels, it was not an attempted coup. It was embarrassing. That's intellectually dishonest to say that. Anyway, so this pastor also pointed out the Antifa guys, Trump supporters generally like each other and they stand in the crowd Mm -hmm. and they rub shoulders and they talk and they're cheerful and they're loud. They talk about their guns. No, but they're like, you know, they're asking each other questions. Who are you? Where are you from? It's like the lady at the gas station on the way to Red Lodge. Exactly. Exactly. Like if some, if two people wearing, well, no, but I mean, just if two people wearing MAGA hats see each other, there's, there's. They like each other. It's like the old Budweiser commercial. What's that? Yeah. What's that? It is kind of. And and I'm not saying this from firsthand experience. I'm saying this from reading a lot over the last couple of years, reports of people who are from the left who go to Trump rallies and they are taken aback at the friendliness and the cheerfulness of the people who've been at these Trump rallies. Anyway, the Antifa people looked at the ground and kept to themselves. And he's like, <laughs> it was like a dead giveaway. Like, you don't belong here. Um, the uh, so, so that was an interesting thing about the crowd. This guy, though, said for sure the people who broke through the crowd, broke through the barriers or were ushered through the barriers, depending on what videos you want to believe on Facebook, um, they, they were for sure Trump people. They were not Antifa. And he's like, we have to be honest well the believers. photo i saw of like four guys standing in in the capitol building were wearing what looked like costumes yeah like, huh 
Well, the the guy huh? with the buffalo horns is QAnon, and he's like, oh, is he? He's known. He he's been at other rallies, and he's kind of a rabble rebel rouser in general. But generally, he says things like, "Funny, if we got like him, God is on our side. If we got him and, off of welfare, and <laughs> no, I mean, I, I don't know. Anyway, unemployment so, so, brought jobs back. So this back, particular pastor from Arizona, perks, he'd have to go get a job. This is kind of damning. Him. This particular pastor from Arizona says that he, like, they ended up at the Capitol in the rush of the crowd. They, actually, they they were reparking their car. They left the rally itself early and parked their car in a different place so they wouldn't get stuck in with the crowd moving to the Capitol. So they're on, on the grass, and then all of this riot happens, and this young guy comes out of the Capitol, and he sees them set up there, and he's like, Pastor Jeff! Oh, thank you so much for your ministry. I've benefited so much from your ministry. So he recognizes this relatively obscure reformed guy from Arizona on the grass. And this guy looks like your average, like, bearded Calvinist pastor, to be honest. Like, he's he's not so distinctive looking that I would recognize him in a crowd. So this guy is a follower of this pastor, Jeff. And he comes up to him, thanks him for his ministry, and is like, hey, you want some video footage from the inside? And like the, this camera crew is kind of like, from the inside? And he's like, yeah, here you go. And he shows it to him, and he's inside the Capitol, and he's like on film himself, like kicking things and swearing. And the camera crew is like, you call yourself a believer? And you're acting like this? And he's like, yeah. And they're like we don't think that behavior is becoming of a Christian. And I can't remember how he responded to that. But they, anyway, so this guy was like, look, we have to be honest as believers that of who perpetrated this. So that was a really interesting... Chinos. Chinos. Christian in name only. Right. Well... We can call them Chinos. Do you know, Chinos is like a khaki pant, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like an old, yeah, that like makes 90, it even funnier. Nineties khaki pants. That makes it even funnier. Um, I, a chino. Yeah, I don't. You know. You heard it here first on Too Busy to Flush. It's going to be all over the world in a matter of days. Yeah. Um, no. So well, the really interesting interview I've listened to a lot. Like I, li- I've, and I've read a couple of posts that people have shared around that. Um, to me, are frustrating coming from Christians who want to be quick to denounce the to separate themselves from this and so they're condemning Christian nationalism they're condemning what was done but there's no holding out of the gospel for people who really desperately need gospel and not condemnation and again like going back to our initial discussion with the like I, you know, that's not me, that I couldn't possibly be that bad. The shame and despair. I listened to an interview with a Federalist uh, reporter who was there. And I mean, she's like standing in the crowd with a selfie stick being jostled by people right outside the Capitol as all this chaos is going on. So she's really right there. But she, before all of the chaos broke out, was just interviewing people 
as you do, I suppose, about why they're there and what their background is. And she's like, she's, she's a millennial, probably doesn't have any kids yet. She kept referring to people as PTA moms. Like that was her like best description <laughs> for like 2.3 kids, just average American, normal looking, respectable American men and women. They're called soccer moms. She kept calling them PTA moms, which kind of cracked me up. But but she for excludes a whole category of moms of who homeschool exactly. (laughs) But so her, for example, one of the people that she talks about having interviewed and struck up a really friendly conversation with is from her hometown in Wisconsin. This little town in Wisconsin and she knows the store where this lady works and so they kind of had this sense of camaraderie and she was like um just like why are you here and she said everybody she talked to including this woman from Wisconsin had come to the legitimate conclusion that they couldn't trust anybody in media and they also have been let down by politicians on both sides of the aisle enough that they don't trust their politicians. And so they genuinely, her impression was the masses of people who were there genuinely believe that the only person of influence in the United States right now that they can trust and believe what he says is Donald Trump, which is insane considering his problem with the truth but if you simply the problem with his character, his behavior, his right, demeanor, it, you really? know what he's been saying about. But if you, if you consider the fact that these people have been for sure let down by the elites in every influential institution in America, in the government, in the media, um, you know, they send their kids to college and their kids come home rejecting their values you know, I mean, just every institution doesn't care about them. You know, Anderson Cooper's snide remarks about going back to their Holiday Inns and eating at Olive Garden. Like, do you not get why these people hate you and don't trust you? And Donald Trump, for all of his character flaws, has tapped deeply into the core of people who... So the phrase that kept coming to mind while she's talking about them was that these people are sheep without a shepherd. And I started thinking about, I mean, of course, Jesus using that language goes back to the Old Testament and the abusive shepherds, the people who were supposed to be caring for the flock, and instead they were doing things for their own advantage and worsening the situation of the flock, which if I were... If I read the Bible differently, I would believe that there was judgment for people who do that in an Old Testament sense rather than in a more generic sense. But um, when Jesus is looking at these people, these, these hordes that are coming to him, they are they're, they're being ruled over by a foreign power that thinks they're no better than dirt they're economically oppressed, their own kind, their own elites, either smooth talk them and then backstab them or betray them, 
or just overtly reject them. You know, look at all of all of their religious and political leaders, which was the same thing in ancient Israel. Um, they all had betrayed the everyday sheep in Israel. And here comes somebody who speaks their language, who gets them, and who seems to be on the rise in terms of power and influence. And Jesus looks at them and recognizes that they are harassed and helpless sheep without a shepherd. And when this reporter from The Federalist, Emily Jasinski or something, kept talking about her interviews with these people, and, you know, they're all there because they truly believe that this is a way to make their voice be heard. And after, you know, considering the numbers of people who were there, the number of people who actually went in and wreaked havoc on the Capitol was very small, but it besmirched every single person who was there. And she said the way people who actually knew about it, because there were a lot of people who didn't even know what was going on. They were so far away. And if they weren't on social media or getting the news in the moment, they had no idea what was going on. But the people who did know what was going on went away so broken and dejected because they knew that that what they were there to try to accomplish in terms of having their voice heard, set aside trying to get the election overturned, but in terms of feeling like they were connected to somebody who could help them and like they could actually not be harassed and helpless for once. And then everything goes to crap because of the point. So just the dejection with which they went away, I kept thinking, man, these people are sheep without a shepherd. And what they don't need is snide evangelical elites being like wagging their fingers at them for Christian nationalism. What they need is what Jesus offered them, which is not a an earthly messianic king, mm-hmm. but it's a good shepherd for their souls who can actually offer them you know, all the things that Donald Trump wants to be able to offer them, because I think he truly does see himself in messianic terms for these hordes of people. Like, how could you not? You know, the John, what's what's the what's the, the comedian who's so foul mouthed, but so funny? Uh, John Oliver. No, 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 no. He's not even funny. He's foul mouthed and not funny. Um, the one, the, the horse in the hospital one. Oh. Um, Mulaney. John, John Mulaney. Mulaney. So John Mulaney talking about is it Mick Jagger where he's like he wrote he was writing a skit for Mick Jagger on Saturday Night Live and he's like if you've spent your entire life being like diet coke and one appears in your hand like you can't help but start thinking that you can say diet coke and it will magically appear like (laughs) You've spent your entire life living on this different plane of existence. Like, I think in some ways, the way people have responded to Trump, you know, when you have that many people show up after you've lost an election for a rally, like, how could your head not explode with... You know, all those people, I don't know what... You know, it's sad. It's, you know, in that the first part of that verse, it's, it's Matthew 9, 36... When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And it's like, 
you know, what are those people hoping they went? And I'm looking at them. I feel like sad for them because here they went. They traveled from a all bunch over. of states, all over, all over the place. And what were they hoping to get? Well, so what this, were they hoping to is, walk away with? This is a little bit different conversation, but but there was a so they they don't understand the constitution and the election process essentially a lot of those people some of a small minority okay, probably did but the reason the rally was held that day is that's the day that congress was ratifying the election right the electoral college votes so so there's like so tattoos. trump deliberately lied to everybody brought them all there for something that can't actually happen well so remember remember ted cruz and josh howley and this group of senators yeah. and representatives was going to object oh from from everything that I've read and tried to hear, that the, the prerogative of our representatives to object to electoral college votes actually is not in the Constitution at all. Mm-hmm. It's in like a misreading of something that happened as a result of a conflict about something in the late 1800s. And so, but but the the precedent is there. The Democrats have objected to every Republican, like at least one Democrat, if not more, has objected. Apparently, in every election that a Republican has won, somebody has raised an objection to the Electoral College vote. But then it gets certified and yada, yada, yada. But there were so so some of the senators seemed to have like Ted Cruz. If I'm charitably reading him. Was going to object in order to right. make the point that we need to rein in the disparities of how elections are conducted and things and point out there were a lot of discrepancies in in how the elections were run. Other senators seemed to be holding out to some constituents the idea that they could, by objecting, somehow overturned the votes of the Electoral College. And then, of course, Donald Trump is calling on Mike Pence to reject that as though one single person like, could and should overturn the entire so they were democratic hoping, process. So they were hoping for an overturned election. I, I think that many of them wow. had been led to believe by Donald Trump and by um, there were a handful of, of influence media influencers whose names I don't necessarily recognize because I don't follow crazy people intentionally, um, who had actually led people to believe that Mike Pence and or Ted Cruz, Josh Howley, this crowd could and would overturn the results of the Electoral College. See, and here's, here's, here's the point that I want to get to. You have set up for yourself a false hope. Uh, you don't know it's a false hope, but you fell for it anyway. Then you go to this thing after feeling harassed and helpless. You're completely let down. In fact, the opposite happened. You've just secured every reason for them never to let you in the door ever. Right. right? Um, and you go away with less than what you had when you came in. Mm-hmm. Um, I just and what are they going to go away to? You know, how do you prepare yourself? What they're yourself? going away to is all of their Christian leaders finger wagging at them for being That's, these 
despicable Christian nationalists. And the mainstream media is like, you're worse than the BLM writers because they might have burned down the rest of the city, but you attacked the Capitol. And somehow that's so sacred that you assaulted our democracy. And and so what's and that's what drives me nuts is nobody's having compassion on these people. Nobody's stepping up to be. And I say I say nobody because this is this is. The narrative that I hear. I, I know have it's actually not true. looked long and hard for somebody offering gospel compassion and gospel right. hope to these and, people. You know, and that's what they're not, and they're not giving them. They're not giving them any hope. The way to prevent falling and for no something like this, right? Yeah. The way to prevent falling from so, for something like this is to be in a constant, going back full circle to the start of our conversation, going back into understanding what you're capable of, where your heart is at and keeping and with all that knowledge, keeping your heart oriented in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that without solid Bible, biblical teaching. You can't do that without discipleship. You can't do that without mm-hmm. a good crowd around you. Who are you listening to right now? Who are you you know, who are you taking your spiritual advice from? Who are your people? Do you even have anybody? You know, and the pastors and leaders out there, what the hell are you guys doing? Are you guys contributing to this or are you stepping up to shepherd well and to address these issues as they come and walk with folks through this stuff? To be fair, I think a lot of pastors don't have time to listen through all the things in order to find the helpful couple of nuggets and then piece them together in a way that is, is... going to lead them to shepherd there's but so okay so here's the thing i what i've the best i've seen in the christian world sidesteps the finger wagging and points to like the the first and second peter the we are not citizens of this world we need to reorient the hearts of the people that we live with you know the people in our congregations the, the christians in our spheres to recognize that our our identity, our citizenship has to be not with a particular political party, certainly not with a particular, like I just listened to Al Mohler today and he just raged and raged and raged against the cult of personality and how antithetical that is to the, um, to the constitution that a, our democracy will fall if we fall for the cult of personality. So no, no, no. And yeah, I, what I'm, I know. I, no, I mean. Sorry, I'm I, over here. Like, you guys can't see me. Every he's, t- <laughs> he's wiggling. And I just want to make my point before. So, I mean, all of that to say, like, explode. I've listened to a ton of people. Some of them that have gotten shared widely, I found way less helpful than others. A lot of them have nuggets of truth. But what they're not getting at is I don't think saying you're a citizen of another kingdom is good enough. It's true, but it doesn't offer what we're trying to offer our kids, which is a tangible experience of the truth and the beauty and the goodness of being one of God's people right now. I mean, yes, we're citizens of another kingdom. We are looking forward to heaven. But if you're telling the average person who genuinely calls on the name of Christ— who was at that Trump rally, how to reorient their heart, saying, 
you know, it's it's the equivalent of that Bob Newhart skit, just stop it. Just <laughs> stop putting your trust in Trump and put your trust in Christ. Just stop it. Just stop it. Just stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. Like, you know, and, and that doesn't do anything to actually give them what our hearts need is our hearts are drawn to what quenches the thirst that's inside of our hearts. And the thirst that's inside of our hearts is not just stop it, look at this king instead of this king. Right. But what what is in your what is your heart hungry for? What is your heart thirsty for? Your heart's thirsty for a leader who understands you. Your heart's thirsty for a leader who listens to you. Your heart's thirsty for a leader who will stick up for you. Your heart's thirsty for someone who recognizes that you're harassed and helpless. And all of these things Trump does for them, but your heart's also thirsty for a leader who isn't power hungry for his own sake. And your heart's thirsty for a leader who won't let you down. And I think that, I mean, right there is the leader who, I I mean, like it or not, his rhetoric let them down. So I think like we have to point people more deeply to what are you hungering and thirsting for? And why does, you know, it's not Christian nationalism is bad. It's, it's, it may be bad for the country, but it's also not satisfying the deepest needs of your heart. If you're if you stop and listen to yourself long enough to really understand what you need and what you need is the good shepherd who recognizes that and who doesn't tell you what you want to hear because those crowds certainly did not tell Jesus. Jesus did not tell those crowds what they wanted to hear and we know that because it was a similar crowd that was screaming crucify him at the end because he wasn't the leader they wanted. But he was the leader they needed. Right. And that, you know, point people to Jesus, not systems, not programs. Like, I I feel like we are now, you know, there's been a lot of talk growing up over the years of how evangelical America, you know, Barna surveys have shown this forever. Evangelical America really knows nothing about evangelicalism. They really have very little faith in... You know, their knowledge, their faith is really weak. It's small. It's more of a moralistic, therapeutic deism. Right. But it's also a tradition. Well, this is what I grew up in. This is what I'm going to do. And we're now seeing that being played out. Mm -hmm. We're now seeing that infecting, you know, our churches and our politics. When I first started being aware of missions in Africa, they used to say that Africa needed missionaries because their faith was a mile wide and an inch deep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think America's faith is even a mile wide. (laughs) Well, not anymore. It's an inch wide and an inch deep. Yeah. Um, But anyway, Uh, no, it's, yeah, it's a little bit of soapbox of mine. So, no, I What are you doing? So our listeners, what are you guys doing in your communities, in your circles, your spheres of influence, to continually orient people you know in the right direction? What are you doing to orient your heart to keep it in the right direction? Like, what, you know... Think about those things and so know, make make step take steps and, and starting with your own heart. So I, I want to close unless you want closing comments. I want to nope. close with so years ago David Pallison, who was um, one of my seminary professors, he published an article called the Anti Psalm Twenty Three versus the Psalm Twenty Three, and I 
I, I return to this a couple times a year because I think it's so powerful. So he crafted the opposite of what Psalm 23 is in order to help us understand the depth of what Christ offers us as our good shepherd in Psalm 23. So he says, I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I'm overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist. I do what I want, when I want, how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me, except me. And I'm so much about me, sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free-falling into a void? Satra said, hell is other people, and I have to add, hell is also myself. It's a living death, and then I die. I think that's a little bit overdramatic in some ways for how I feel sometimes, but, like, there's... I've, I, I've, I feel that way a lot. Well, I mean, certainly I mean, parts, like, feelings. life's so much about me, it feels sickening, I'm restless, uh, I feel overwhelmed, I'm thirsty all the time, I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed, and then having mm-hmm. really kind of wallowed in those sentiments, recognizing that the opposite of that is when when he says, my cup overflows, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we are living as citizens of another kingdom, but there's a lot of heart stuff that takes place to help us really appreciate what that means and to live in that reality. Yeah. It's a good word. Now go read Psalm 23. All right. Long, I think we actually crested an hour on this show. I think it's over an hour. Congratulations. We did it's, it. it's an honor here's of our one-year anniversary. Here's to right? 20, 2021. <laughs> um, guys, thank you for joining us. You can follow us at toobusytoflush.com or tb2f.com. And uh, we're also on, um, loosely, we're on social media, loosely. And that will only last long, as long as until uh, we uh, violate some community guidelines somewhere. So follow us now. Share us with your friends. Let people know you love us. We do have our online store. Got some new stuff. I just ordered a new hat that I really like. So I might put that up on the store, which is kind of cool. We got some new our Subway Tile logo stickers. We have those now. Um, and then, of course, people are weird and hard. Mugs, hats, and t- well, mugs and t-shirts. So, um, Anyway, we appreciate you listening. Super fun to have you around. Feel free. Now, feel free. I had a friend, my cousin, Paul, um, said he felt weird, like, texting us, like, falling behind in the show, and then texting <laughs> us, like, months later. Like, he's like, I want to interact with you guys on the show. 
that's cool. Interact with us whenever you listen to the you episode. You might have to remind us what we say because we record late at night. You will. and um, But even if it's like four or five episodes previous, awesome. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Feel free to engage with us on any way you see fit. If you have our phone numbers, text us. If you want to email us. Oh, you can email us too now. TB, the number 2F, TB2F at pm.me. Papa Mike dot me pm dot me tv2 so you send us an email um it's fun we, we enjoy interacting with you guys so thank you um and we'll see you hopefully next week sounds good good night